Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to see you. These verses that we just read in Romans 7, do you recognize yourself in these verses? Uh, if you would go over to Greece today to the uh, remains and the ruins of ancient Delphi, you would find inscribed there in the temple of Apollo these words, Gnothi Sauton, know yourself, know yourself. John Calvin would have agreed with that, and so he began his institutes with this sentence, nearly all the wisdom we possess, that is to say true and sound wisdom, consists of two parts, the knowledge of God and of ourselves. Augustine said the same thing. He said, let me know myself, let me know thee. So as a Christian, do you know yourself? We're looking now in these Monday messages, we're looking at Romans 6 to 8, which is a key section in the Bible on the Christian life. So what is it we should expect in our Christian life? Paul said in Colossians 1, I constantly pray for the believer, for you believers, that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord so as to please him in every way. So he was praying that they would walk in a manner in which they would be pleasing to the Lord. That's our prayer really for you here at Emmaus. As you grow in your Christian lives, we want you, while you're at Emmaus, and really for the rest of your lives to live your life in a way that is pleasing to the Lord. But what does that look like? What is our Christian life going to look like? For many Christians, trying to please God is a life of striving harder and harder to keep the law of God. Uh, many think that God's law, the Mosaic law, is our standard, and so you find Christians that are just continually making resolutions, writing lists. This is what I'm going to do today so uh, to show that I'm really serious and want to obey God and want to be pleasing to him. Now, one of the things Paul does here in Romans 6 to 8 is deal with the law and the Christian, and he specifically says, you are not under law, but under grace. And instead, he says at the beginning of our chapter, the message that we had last week, that it is not through striving to keep the law that we live a life pleasing to God. It is through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, through Christ, we have died to the law and we bear fruit to God. Romans 8 is going to particularly emphasize that it is through the power of the Holy Spirit that God has given us that we uh, live that life that is pleasing to him. But now in our passage today, Romans 7, verses 13 or 14 to 25, I think this passage presents a very important insight for us as to what we should expect in our Christian lives. 
the problem with these verses is that Romans 7 is uh, one of the most difficult chapters in the book of Romans. Uh, A.T. Robertson, who was the great grammarian and New Testament scholar, says that when Paul reaches Romans 7, he, lives, he leaves his commentators behind. Uh, C.K. Barrett said that there's no chapter in Romans that has given rise to so many different interpretations. Alexander White, who was uh, famous for his, uh, for his writings on Bible characters, had a lecture on uh, verse 14, sold under sin, and he said, as often as my attentive bookseller sends me on approval another new commentary on Romans, he says, the first thing I do is turn to Romans 7, and if the commentator sets up a straw man, I send the book back and I say, no thanks, this is not where I'm going to spend my money. So what we have here, what we've read in these verses is a struggle. It is a conflict. It's the struggle of someone who wants, who wants to keep the law of God um, and finds that he really is not able to do so. Now, how do these verses relate to us? One of the things I hope that you are getting in every one of your Bible classes is the message over and over again. We cannot apply scripture correctly unless we interpret it correctly. And so when we're looking here at this passage, uh, the primary question for interpretation when we see this struggle, is this the struggle of a Christian or is this the struggle of a non-Christian? Is this the kind of struggle we should expect, expect in our Christian lives because it's describing the kind of struggle that Paul as a Christian uh, was going through? So I want to look at these verses again with you and uh, I want you to notice that in these verses Paul says essentially the same thing three times. He is going to describe a, uh, his condition, then he is describing his conflict, and then he makes a conclusion. And he's going to do this three separate times. First of all, he says in verse 14, we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of flesh sold under sin. That's his condition. I am of flesh sold under sin. Then he describes uh, his conflict. For I do not understand my own actions. I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So verse 17, his conclusion. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Then he's going to say virtually the same thing in verses 18 and 20. The same three elements, the condition, the conflict, the conclusion. The condition, verse 18, I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. Then the conflict, for I have the desire to do what is right, 
but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. So what's the conclusion? Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. You get the point? No, we need to say it a third time. So verses 21 to 25, the condition, I find that it is, it, uh, I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. The conflict, I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. So what's the conclusion? Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Is there deliverance? Well, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. So when Paul says this, is he speaking about his own experience? Well, you look at how he uses the word I, how he is describing this so vividly. Uh, this has to be the, the struggle of the Apostle Paul. Now, it's not his struggle alone. It is the struggle of many others. It is the struggle of all who have the same desire to live godly like Paul uh, did at this time. Second question, is this the experience of Paul as a Christian or as a non-Christian? And this is really one of the critical issues of interpretation that you have with this, with this chapter. And there has been a great debate over it since the very early days of the church. And if you read many of the good commentators today, and I say good commentators, uh, many of these will say that Paul is describing here his life as a non-Christian. I don't agree with that, but they have some very strong arguments as they are looking at it. And I can only uh, mention a couple of verses. Look at verse 14. He says, I am a flesh sold under sin. Is that really describing a Christian? Or verse 14, or 24, wretched man that I am. <laughs> Does that sound like a victorious Christian life? Wretched man that I am. So in these verses, we see this struggle, and there seems to be continual defeat. Uh, the, uh, the good that I want to do, I don't do. And the evil that I do not want to do, I do. Is that really the description of the Christian life? Paul has already said to us in verse in, in chapter 6, uh, we are no longer slaves of sin, and sin shall not have dominion over you. And uh, verse chapter 8, verse 2, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made you free from the law of sin and death. Now, these are strong verses and strong statements, but I think that Paul is uh, still describing his experience as a Christian. 
And actually, he is describing the experience of every genuine Christian who wants to live a life pleasing to the Lord. Now, why do I say that? Uh, there are long discussions on this. Let me just mention three things. Uh, first of all, notice where these are in the book of Romans. When you look at the book of Romans, in chapters 1 to 5, Paul is talking about unbelievers. 1 to 5 is talking about unbelievers. He is saying that all are sinners, all have sinned and, and come short of the glory of God. How can a person be saved from the guilt and penalty of sin? That's what he's dealing with in chapters 1 to 5. How can they be justified? He says it's not by works, it is by faith in the saving work of Christ. But what do we have now in chapters 6 to 8? What are we looking at in our Monday chapels? We are looking at, at three chapters that are dealing with the Christian life. The question here in these verses is not, in these chapters, is not how can I be saved from the, the guilt and the penalty of sin, but as a Christian, how can I be saved from the power of sin in my life? And to say that these verses here are about Paul as a non-Christian is uh, out of place here in the book of Romans. It would fit with chapters 1 to 5, it really doesn't fit with its place in chapters 6 to 8. So the first argument has to do with the, the, the flow of thought of the book of Romans. The second argument is notice in this chapter the change of tenses between what we have in verses 7 to 13 where the tense of the verbs is past and verses 14 to 25 where the tense of the verbs is present. Just a couple of references. In verses 7 to 13, Paul is referring to his days before he knew Christ as his Savior. And he says in verse 9, I once was alive apart from the law. That's past. But when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. You see how that's past? Verse 11, Sinned, deceived me, passed, and through the commandment, killed me. And he continues that way. But then in verses 14 to 21, he switches to the present tense. Verse 14, the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh. I am of the flesh, is what he is saying. That's present. Verse 15, I do not do what I want but I do the very thing that I hate. That's present. I could go on in all of these verses and repeat them over again. He continually is using the present tense. But for me, the strongest argument is the concluding statement here in verses 24 and 25. What has he been describing? He's been describing this struggle. He's been describing this struggle. What's his conclusion? Verses 24, verse 24 Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Who will deliver me? Is there deliverance? Is there victory? What does he say? Thanks be to God. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. 
There is deliverance through Jesus Christ. That's the deliverance of a person who has found Jesus Christ as Savior. There is deliverance. Uh, now, if you look at the commentators, they all agree with that. <laughs> but you'll notice that's the, not the last statement in the chapter. There is a conclusion after that. After he said there's victory in Christ, he, meant, he makes his final concluding statement. So then, so then, as a result of all of this, the struggle, the victory. So then, what's the conclusion? I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. You see how this is his continuing experience. So what we see here in this chapter is the struggle of a genuine Christian who delights in the law of God, who recognizes the power of indwelling sin, and he's frustrated by his inability to do the law of God by himself. Now, if Paul is writing this about his present experience, he's describing his life as a mature Christian. And this is really the kind of experience that we should all expect in our Christian lives. Know yourself. This is the kind of thing that you will experience. Now, this may not be the way that you would like, that, that you would look at the life of a, of a truly godly person. <laughs> is this really the kind of thing that you would expect of, uh, when you think of the, of the Apostle Paul? He was a spiritual giant. When he said, but he says, I do not do the good that I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep doing. H.A. Ironside says in his book on Romans that Romans 7 describes Christian experience. He says every Christian goes through it, but he looks at it as the experience of a young immature Christian who hasn't experienced the victory over sin through the Holy Spirit that Paul is going to talk about in Romans 8. He says, we all go through this struggle of Romans 7, but our goal in the Christian life should be to get out of Romans 7 into Romans 8 and never go back to Romans 7 again. But look at verse 25 again, that summary statement. Paul says that this is his present Christian experience. It has two sides. Uh, there is defeat and there is victory. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but with my flesh the law of sin. The two of them go together and there is going to be this continual conflict throughout our lives. There is conflict and there is victory. And as long as we have the flesh, we will feel the force of sin. We will have conflict. We will have victory. But we will never have complete victory. Victory is possible, but 
complete victory will only come when we are glorified and in the presence of Jesus Christ. What are the lessons we should be learning from this chapter? Let me mention uh, four lessons that we can learn from this chapter. First of all, one of the things that Paul is saying in Romans, he has said it in Romans 1 to 5, he has said justification is not by keeping the law. What he's saying here in chapters 6 to 8 is that sanctification is not by keeping the law. And that's why he said in chapter 6, you are not under law, but under grace. If you look at the experience of the Apostle Paul, I think we can see three stages in his life. First of all, stage one, in Philippians 3, he describes his life as a Pharisee. Uh, as a Pharisee, he was very strict in keeping the law. He said, concerning the righteousness which is of the law, I was blameless. You don't see any conflict there in Paul's uh, description of his life before he was saved. Rather, he, he looked at himself just like the rich young ruler. Obey the commandment. I've kept all of these from my youth. And that's basically what Paul, what Paul was saying. He, didn't, he, he wasn't struggling in his life because he didn't think that he was sinning. Stage two, he describes in the first part of Romans, uh, first part of Romans seven, verses seven to thirteen, and that's when the Holy Spirit began to convict Paul of his sin, and uh, and what we see here is that Paul, that God used the law itself to convict Paul of his sin, and so he's dealing with a question here as to whether the law itself is sin or whether the law is good, and he says the law. The law itself is good because it was the law that God used to make me see that I was not blameless, that I really was a sinner and that I needed Jesus Christ. And it was the commandment, you shall not covet. And it began to dawn on Paul that God did not just require outward external obedience, but he wanted obedience from the heart. And when he uh, recognized that God's standards was much higher than he had thought, he says that the commandment came, sin became alive, and I died. And the commandment which was to result in life proved to result in death for me. Paul realized that he hadn't been keeping the law. He wasn't blameless. He was a sinner, and he needed a savior. And that's when he came to know Jesus Christ and sought to be found in him not having a righteousness which is my own, but that which comes through faith in Jesus Christ. So that was the second stage. The third stage in his life is, I think, the stage of his experience that is described here in verses 14 to 25. Do you remember when you first trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior? For many people, for most people, when they first are saved, it is a joyful experience. It is an exciting experience. And there is the sheer delight and joy that comes 
from forgiveness in Jesus Christ. We have a new relationship with God. We have tremendous blessings from him. Then what happens? You go on and you begin to seek to live for God and grow in your Christian life and do what we talked about, live a life that pleases God. Now, as you grow in your ex Christian experience, uh, as you grow in discernment, as you grow in spiritual maturity, you begin to recognize your own failures and your own shortcomings. Uh, C.E.B. Cranfield, who has one of the very, very fine commentaries on the book of Romans, says, the more seriously a Christian strives to live from grace and submit to the discipline of the gospel, the more sensitive he becomes to the fact of his continuing sinfulness. The fact that even his best acts and activities are disfigured by the egotism that is still powerful within him. What he's saying is this. When you start out as a new Christian, uh, you, you, you turn away from the kind of life that you had lived before. You, like the Thessalonians, turn to God from your idols. And uh, it is only as you go on that you become more sensitive to what God really desires and you become more sensitive to sin in your life and it begins to disturb you and you don't like some of the things that you are doing that's what Paul is describing here now what many people do when they when they when they discover that they want to overcome sin in their life and they, the natural for ten, tendency, even for us as Christians, is to try harder, to try to do our best. And so you set the commandments of God before you and you try to do your best to keep them. And what Paul is saying here in, in Romans is that this striving to keep the commandments of God by yourself will only lead to failure. The very best that you can do is what you have here in verse 20 do. I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man. What's the problem? The problem is not only do we have that desire to live godly lives, but we also have the principle of sin that we have here in verse 23. We're not able to keep the law by ourselves you can't keep the law to be saved. You cannot keep the law to be sanctified. So Paul has described his life and uh, what we see here is that he emphasizes the law is not the means of sanctification. Second thing I think that we need to notice from this chapter, the Christian life is a continual conflict. Why? Because we still have a sinful nature and as long as we have our sinful nature there will be a conflict. The unbeliever, the non-Christian does not have the same conflict. He often delights in his sin. Now he may not like the consequences of his sin but he delights in the sin itself. In Christ, we are a new creation. 
We have a new viewpoint. We have new desires. We have a new capacity to do what is good. And this leads to a conflict between our old nature and our new nature. Paul says in Galatians 5, the, the, the flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For these things are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. There's going to be a continual conflict. Thirdly, we will always have this conflict in, until we die or until the Lord comes. In other words, you cannot leave Romans 7, get into Romans 8, so that you never go back to Romans 7 again. Why? Because we can't leave our sin nature. It is the sin nature that Paul is describing in verse 14. I am carnal, sold under sin. He's not saying that he delights in sin. He's not saying this to excuse his sin. He is simply acknowledging the continuing power of sin in his life. If you deny the force of indwelling, indwelling sin, that like those who uh, teach sinful, sinless perfection, or if you think that you can leave the struggle of Romans 7 behind, like the Keswick people do, you're only going to deceive yourself and keep yourself from the true means of victory. Fact is that every one of us should know from our own experience that we will never have complete victory over sin and that we will never fully keep the law. Remember Jesus' summary of the law? What's the great commandment? You shall love the Lord your God. Do you love the Lord? I think all of us would say we do, yes. But I didn't finish the verse. You shall love the Lord with all your heart. We do love him. We do love him. We love him truly. But we don't love him perfectly. And as long as we are not doing this perfectly, we fall short of his strand standard. You can try harder and harder, but you will always fall short. Now, there are many other areas that we could mention, and we all have our weaknesses in different areas. Are you a worrier? Try not to worry for a week. <laughs> are you a critical person? Try to go for a week without criticizing someone else. We all have our own weaknesses where, uh, where we can recognize uh, that we fall short. Uh, and we will always, we will always have this kind of, of struggle. Now, there's a fourth lesson. And this is one that is often overlooked in reading this chap chapter. There is victory for the Christian. This chapter is often read as it is continual defeat. Uh, but verses uh, 24 and 25 give the cry for the deliverance and the victory, the deliverance that is found in Jesus Christ. The victory does not come from our own personal resolve. Um, it is not come from seeking sanctification by the law, by our vows, 
by New Year's resolutions, by struggling to do better, the, the new nature does not have any strength in itself. It sees what to do, but it does not have the power to do it. The good that I wish I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not wish. Where is victory? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. He is our deliverer. He is our deliverer. And the lesson of this chapter is that if sin remains and exerts its power, in spite of the fact that we have it, and in spite of all of our efforts to overcome it, then deliverance must come from somewhere outside of ourselves. The victory is in Christ. Now, Paul is going to spend all of chapter 8, or a lot of chapter 8, developing this idea that Christ has sent the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, to give us the power to have victory over indwelling sin. Uh, so Romans 7 and Romans 8 are two sides of the Christian life. It isn't either or. It isn't all Romans 7, struggle and defeat, or all Romans 8, total victory in Christ. It is a continual struggle, and it is a con continual victory. If we try to win the battle for our, by ourselves, we are doomed. If we will learn to walk in the Spirit, as he says in chapter 8, we will gain a measure of victory the more we learn to trust him, the more we will overcome sin. But we need to know ourselves. Ignorance of the power of sin in our lives is going to lead to continual defeat and continual sin. Confidence in our own ability is going to lead to the kind of confidence that led Peter to say, Lord, if everybody else forsakes you, I won't. <laughs> and that led to defeat. Uh, faith and trust in Christ as our Savior has brought us deliverance from the, the guilt and the penalty of sin. And it is faith and trust in Christ that will lead us to victory over the power of sin. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ.